He, therefore, that will be saved must think of the Trinity. From the Athanasian Creed, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. It is said that St. Augustine took so long, over 15 years, to complete his great work on the Trinity that anonymous publishers copied and published black market copies of it against his wishes, stolen from his scriptorium and to his great annoyance. Augustine, you'll remember, according to legend, was walking one day along the shore of the Mediterranean contemplating the mystery of the Holy Trinity when he came upon a little boy running back and forth with a seashell, dumping the shell each time into a small hole that he had dug in the sand. I'm going to put the whole ocean in this hole, the boy exclaimed. What? asked St. Augustine. That is impossible, my dear child. The sea is so great and the shell and the hole are so little. That is true, the boy said. It would be easier and quicker to draw all the water out of the sea and fit it into this hole than for you to fit the mystery of the Trinity and His divinity into your little intellect. For the mystery of the Trinity is greater and larger in comparison with your intelligence than is this vast ocean in comparison with this little hole. And then the boy simply vanished. Now, it's a great legend, and I like to tell it for the reason that it is a good way to begin a Trinity, sermon, a Trinity Sunday sermon. Today, we are a people of very little intellect. And today, we are bidden, as the Athanasian Creed puts it, to think. By the way, for most of Anglican history, the Creed was recited prior to the homily, not after. So, in most of our history, we would have just recited the Athanasian Creed, and then I would have to speak which I think is a rather shabby way to treat a priest, but that's how it is. The Catholic faith, the faith of the Scriptures, doesn't call us to understand or comprehend the Trinity, but merely to think a certain way about it. With the church and with the Scriptures upon the Godhead in a certain way. Today we celebrate not an event or a saint or a great theme of the Gospels, but a doctrine. You might say what we celebrate this Sunday is the triumph of that particular doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity. It is only fitting that we should do so, for in this incomprehensible mystery is contained all you really need to know about the Christian faith. Namely, that we believe in one God, in three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This doctrine alone establishes that, God, that the God in whom we believe and put our trust and hope is the God of revelation to His people Israel. That the God in whom we believe took on human flesh in the person of the incarnate Son. And that Jesus Christ, both God and man, hung upon the cross for our salvation, rose from the dead on the third day, and ascended to the right hand of the Father in glory. Further, we believe that the Holy Spirit who indwells and sanctifies the people of God is not some sort of strange or lesser spirit, some kind of demigod, but God indwelling every Christian, making each Christian a temple of His divine presence. You will know from this that this faith, this mystery, this formula is at the heart of each of the creeds, the Apostles, the Nicene, and the Athanasian, which we will recite shortly. For the moment, uh, from the moment this phrase in our catechism was written, I have loved it. I actually remember when it was written. The purpose of the creeds is to declare 
and safeguard God's truth about Himself, ourselves, and creation as God has revealed it in Holy Scripture. My purpose today is to proclaim the biblical truth of the divine trinity. It's often thought that uh, you know, people just sort of figured it out down the road and said, oh, well, we'll just solve it with this formulation. It'll be fine. And uh, historical, histor- uh, historical theologians uh, love to debate about this. But if you want to know more about this, just talk to Alex. He'll set you straight. That's not the case. The purpose of the creed is to declare that biblical truth not only about God, but about us, and about this creation which we inhabit. For the Christian, this does not begin with the various sophistries of reason, but with faith. To reason about God is not a bad thing, but we can never begin there. Instead, we must ask for the gift of faith, which leads to that which it seeks, understanding. Christian believing, as St. Augustine reminds us, is not about taking images from corporeal and earthly realities and translating them to the heavenly. It is about having our minds fixed on heavenly things and seeing earthly things anew through that lens. Augustine himself is a great example. He had tried all of his life to, by observation of the natural world, formulate a comprehension of things invisible. In the end, he finds in the depths of Holy Scripture the wondrous depths of the triune God. His prayer is that God would slay His enemies with the two-edged sword of Scripture, that they may no longer be enemies to it, slain so that they may live for God. His point is exactly that of St. Paul's, that in order to have faith, we must die. To comprehend the mystery of God, we need not have a sharp intellect or a stout reason but instead die to self and seek out the mysteries of the divine in the revelation of Holy Scripture. We must surrender to the God who speaks to us. This is, in summary, to say that the doctrine of the Trinity is a kind of shorthand for the whole mystery of God as revealed and proclaimed in Holy Scripture. It is a doctrine that we must surrender to lose any portion of this, and the whole thing falls apart. If we were, for instance, to hold that the triune God is not the God who revealed Himself to the Jewish people, but some other God, we would have not only fallen into that terrible heresy of Marcionism, but we would have lost the thread of Scripture. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the very Messiah that the prophets foretold. If we were, for instance, to hold some other doctrine than that of the Trinity regarding the person of Jesus Christ, we would have no basis to believe Him to have any power over us to save us, and the power to redeem or transform us, we would be worse than cosmic orphans. If we were to hold my favorite sounding heresy, that of pneumatomachianism, to hold that the Holy Spirit is not divine, we would fall into a grave error. Holding that the Holy Spirit is something else, something foreign to the Godhead, not uncreated, not eternal, but made. I could go on with heresies one after another and show how they all rail against the Trinity. And at the risk of getting into the theological weeds, we should simply say this, that all theology can be called Christian, that can be called Christian must also be Trinitarian. When we, speak, when we cease to speak of the God who is Trinity, we cease to speak of the God of Holy Scripture. We speak of something else. Maybe the God of the gaps. Maybe some God of our own making. And in fact, what we wind up doing is we wind up creating the ultimate idolatry. We make God in our image. 
We make God after something else. We speak of something else. And something else cannot save us. Anything else, and one can only imagine what that would be, is not the God who creates. It is not the God who dies for us. It is not the God who defeats death. It is not the God who indwells us. And so we are taught by the church and enabled by the very grace of the triune God to both confess the truth of the faith and acknowledge this triune God's great glory. The end of all of this is our salvation. The salvation of being plunged into the very mysteries of the Trinity. This means that when we look at the deep discord in human society, when we look at the deep discord within our very selves, when we look at a creation that is marred and defaced by sin and death, it is this revelation of the true God that sets us right. That sets us to think properly. To devote ourselves to a life of harmony. A life of peace. A true life because it is life that comes from God Himself. Make no mistake about it. Every other life, everything else, is violent. It ends in violence. Violence against fellow human beings. Violence in creation. This is why our cities burn. This is why there's murder in the streets. This is the reason that there's injustice. This is why a two-year-old's body was dumped into a dumpster just this, short, just this past week, just a short drive from here. We are getting a picture of what it is like to be divided. There is lawlessness that reigns, and when lawlessness reigns, we are left with a society that is nothing but the sum of its desires. We are getting a picture daily and hourly of what it looks like to be divided politically, ideologically, economically, and in every other conceivable way for human beings to be divided. But in the very pages of Scripture, we see that what God wants is not just to sort of unite every human person one to another, but we see the very vision of that thing for which we were made. We see the God who is undivided, who is without confusion, one God yet three persons in one unity of being. We see the God who calls out lovingly to us to seduce, to conquer, and to claim that the only true life, the only life worth truly living, and the only truly worth living life is lived in the goodness of God's own triune life. A mystery beyond comprehension and without end. What must we do in the face of such a mystery? Well, it's not to figure it out. Not even to explain it, but to hold, to cling, to surrender. Today we profess faith in the triune God and celebrate the mystery of that unique revelation. We sing with St. Patrick, I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity. We remember that we were baptized, every one of us, into the, into the mercies of the triune God when we were baptized into that triune name. In fact, in baptism, there's an image of this, right? We've actually got this back in the new prayer book. It's name this child, right? And you say, it's Joshua. Okay, Joshua, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The implication is clear. It's a new name is given. 
the new name of the Godhead, the new name of the Trinity is given. And we beg of the whole Godhead to make us fit to behold the unfathomable depths for all eternity. George Herbert, that great Anglican priest and poet, wrote in one of his holy sonnets, Batter my heart, three-person God. For you as yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand, o'erthrow me, and bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. I, like an uncertain town to another do, labor to admit you, but oh, to no end. Reason your viceroy in me should defend, but is captive and proves weak and untrue. Yet dearly I love you and would be loved fain, but am betrothed unto your enemy. Divorce me, untie or break that knot again. Take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you, enthrall me, never shall be free, nor chaste, except you ravish me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.